intention is incredibly powerful for us. And it's said in the Buddhist teachings that intention is also um, the basis of um, karma or cause and effect. That um, the state behind your action matters as well as the action itself. So I'll give an example. You know, suppose you pull out of your driveway and you drive through the fence of the house next door, crash through it and, you know, into their living room. Now, suppose it happened that that was the neighbor who cut down all the trees you loved on the property line, you know, and shot at your dog and did a whole bunch of horrible things. And you just were so enraged that one morning you, they did one more thing and you couldn't take it and you just crashed your car through. That will make a certain karma and the blue lights will come and you'll have to deal with all of the, you know, legal consequences of what you did. Suppose instead your accelerator pedal stuck. So the exact same thing happens. You get in your car and you pull out and then it crashes through the fence into the house. So from the outside, no one could see anything different, right? But your intention was entirely different. It was an accident, you know, and the person comes out furious and you say, my accelerator pedal stuck and they might still be furious and you have to deal with insurance and things. But there will be entirely different consequences because the intention was different. So it becomes really powerful to start to pay attention to our intentions and setting our intentions deliberately. And also, of course, it's important then to notice the the impact or the consequences because you can have good intentions and still out of them there can be a bad impact. So you need to notice that. Um, and that will shift your intentions often. But one of the beautiful things that mindfulness training invites is the setting of deliberate intention. And it can be inwardly or it can be outwardly. You know, in a meeting with people um, before, you know, whether it's before an athletic game, as you were talking about, or whether it's a business meeting or it's, you know, in education or whatever it happens to be. Um, what's our what's our intention? Um, and setting intention starts to steer everything. Um, there's something in that's quite traditional in the kind of training that I did, uh, in which you set these long-term vows. Sometimes they're called bodhisattva vows. A bodhisattva is simply somebody who's committed to the well-being of everyone. Um, the Dalai Lama wakes up in the morning and says this prayer, may I be uh, food for the hungry and medicine for the sick. May I be a resting place for the weary and a lamp uh, for those in darkness. May I be a boat, a bridge, a raft for those to cross the flood. And may I do so to benefit all beings for as long as time and space exists. Some, some little pesky little intention like that, right? Actually kind of magnificent. Um, and um, you're invited to quiet your mind and to set your own best intention. If you were, it's like setting the compass of the heart. If you were to set an intention, um, 
of what really matters to you most. Uh, this is called long-term intention, almost like a vow. This is what matters and this is how I want to live. Um, uh, it becomes a touchstone for you. I mean, it can be as simple as I vow to be kind or I vow to live with more wakefulness and attentiveness to myself and others or with more respect. It can be that simple. And then when you get to a place of struggle, things are confusing. You take a pause and you say, what's my best intention? What was that? And it shines a light and it gives you a new direction. Or if you're in conflict in a conversation, there you are talking with your spouse. I'm here with my beloved Trudy, who is my wife and partner and um, a, a amazing, wonderful woman. But it could happen on occasion that we have a little conflict, given the fact that we're meditation teachers and all of that, it still could happen. And so there we are. And if I take a pause, a breath like that mindful pause, I can also ask myself, what's my best intention or my highest intention? And then consciousness changes. And instead of proving how right I was, which I certainly enjoy doing in certain moments, you know, being right or them wrong or making my point or getting over on or, or you know, or whatever it happens to be, or just being upset and angry in some way. My, I remember, what's my best intention? Well, my intention fundamentally is an intention to connect, to be kind, to, you know, that we live with love, respect. And I feel that. What's my best intention? And my whole tone of voice changes. Because I could say, what did you mean? And it, you know, it fuels an argument. Or I could say, what did you mean? I want to understand in that, that same phrase. But it shifts from blame to interest and care. So the quality of mindfulness um, or this capacity allows us also to tune into our intentions and to use them as a support for the, for the life that we most deeply want to live. Is that what it means to set an intention? This is what matters and uh, this is the way that I want to live. And then how often should we consciously evoke those intentions when we're not in it in a moment like should we just wake up and, and think these should we 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 used to in the monasteries we used to <clears throat> every morning as part of our morning chanting and practice and things we would review our intentions so there can be a daily one i mean it would i, I don't want to make people even think that there's some kind of cookie cutter spiritual okay you should do your yoga and eat tofu and set attention, good intention every hour and stuff. It's not like that. You, you point to it quite beautifully. In moments of difficulty or conflict, taking a pause and asking what's my best or highest intention shifts your state of consciousness. Periodically, whether it's the start of the day or a week or some new venture or some new adventure, um, it can be helpful to reflect on, you know, what's your best intention. But it's really organic and it's in a way, what I want to say is, what works for you? Hmm. 
we're sort of part of this always on go, go, go culture. In, in what ways does that striving help us? And in what ways does it hurt us? So Thomas Merton, who is a great Christian, Christian mystic, said to allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone, is itself to succumb to the violence of our times. So let me ask you again, now we're, now we're back on the basketball court, you know, where you want to win the game or now we're in the terrain of running a business or um, teaching a class or something like that. Um, have you had the experience of being quite engaged so that you're devoted to something and putting your best energy in it without the energy of tension, of grasping and striving as much as being engaged um, in the present for its own sake. And if you have, what did that feel like? I mean, it feels great, right? Because it, it feels like this feels like this conversation, right? One of the reasons that we book three hours um, is because then there's no time pressure. There's no, you're not thinking about, oh, I only have an hour, I gotta fit all this in. And so it's just, I am here in this moment for this length of time. And it, it all, it never goes three hours or very rarely, but I find that that frees me to be more focused in the moment, where if it's an hour, it actually is detrimental to me being in that moment and being present. All right, so here you are in the supermarket. You got your list. Yeah, you know, and not only is it your list, but there's other people that you're close to that put their shit on the list <laughs> too, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And you, if you get the right kind of laundry soap and the right kind of ice cream or whatever for the kids or whatever, I don't know who, who makes your list, but there you are. You have a time constraint because you have to get back. There's yeah. something, you know, how are you going to do it? You could do it like careening through the aisles, like a good New Yorker, grabbing things pretty quickly, trying to get through, you know, and at the same time, think about all the other stuff that you have to get done when you get home and all of that. That's one way you could do it. The other, other you could actually enjoy. I personally like shopping. It's a, it's a great thing in my marriage because my wife doesn't. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to do it grocery shopping or other kind. Um, but you could do it and have fun. You could do it, and I bet you have at certain points, and say, you know, I'm, now I'm shopping, let me enjoy this. And it doesn't mean you're going to be much slower. You're not going to be the speed freak, you, you know. But, uh, yeah, let, let, me, let me feel my steps and enjoy and be present and not try to work everything else out in my life. I'll, I'll just, you know... Um, in what there's one Zen saying that says, you know, when you sit, just sit, and when you eat, just eat, you know, to just be where you are. And you can practice this and you start to pay attention to what it's like when you do it in a gracious way. Um, and it doesn't mean you can't set a goal and it doesn't mean you can't give it your very best and that there are certain moments you need to really throw yourself into something. But even that, you can do it with a good spirit and with fun rather than being afraid of how it's going to turn out. So this Zen teacher 
Sung San Sansani, a Korean Roshi that, or Zen master that I studied with. So he was sitting in his Zen center in Providence one morning, um, eating his breakfast and reading the morning paper. And one of the students, as, as, as we are, uppity students, that we said, hey, wait a second. Didn't you say when you sit, just sit, and when you eat, just eat? What is this thing about eating and reading the paper? And he looked up and he said, when you eat and read, just eat and read. And, you know, it was, it was kind of a fun dialogue. Um, but the idea of it is still an invitation to bring this quality of mindful presence to actually be where you are more fully. Because honestly, 90% of your thoughts are repeats. Maybe more than that when you sit in meditation and you kind of notice what's going on in your mind. It's a little bit like being stuck in Motel 6 at night with the shopping channel on or whatever, or some other channel. It could be, you know, whatever your favorite channel is. But it, 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 they're, they're not new. Um, and it's, it's the brain and the mind reciting certain things. And you can say, thank you, I appreciate it. That's what minds do. Um, and then you can tune into a deeper quality of being present there. You are in the supermarket. And say, all right, let me be here. I'm not going to try and solve the problems of my life right now. I'll, I'll take my time to do it. And then, of course, once in a while, as you don't pay attention to your thinking, some good new intuition comes. I don't want to put it down. Thought is a, is a great servant. It's just not a good master. You don't want to let it run your life. You want the quality of presence and compassion to run your life and thoughts to serve that.